Father, we thank you for who you are, and I just thank you for all these people who have joined together to fellowship um, in your holy name. Uh, we love you. Uh, we love what you've done for us. And even though our country and our world is going through some tough times, we know that you are the one we need to be focused on. And uh, we just want to bless your holy name and thank you for your son, Jesus, who is our, our goal. He's our, uh, who we will glorify and at some point in the future who we will spend eternity with. So we just thank you. Thank you for all these families who came around us this morning. And it's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. So um, Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. Um, we'll jump right in. We've been covering Ephesians, and we're moving right along pretty good. We finished uh, verse 5 last week, speaking of God making us alive together in Christ. It's just really cool. It's his thought. We've been talking about it. Paul goes over it a couple times. We were dead. Not dead like you can't get up and go to work, not dead like you're a rotting corpse, but dead like you are spiritually completely dead. You're on your way to separation from God, and he makes us alive. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Um, saved by grace. So not just alive, but in this case, alive together with Jesus Christ, right? So as Jesus was raised up from his physical grave, so too we are raised up and we're going to talk about that so let's read if you'll read with me we'll start in verse six um we finished five with by grace you have been saved and verse six says and raised up with him jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places in jesus christ so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Really uh, pretty interesting thing. Two very important parts of Greek speech, which is an important way of looking at this. If you notice, I like to pick out Greek speech now and then because it's really cool to be able to look at something and think, Paul is not talking in English. Uh, I know all the old movies show Moses talking in English, you know, and, and Paul talking, but they didn't. They didn't speak those languages. They were, he was speaking Greek in this case. And Sometimes it just being able to see it and looking at the way the words relate to one another really accentuates it. Not that we're not getting the fullness of the gospel by reading it, but it, it can just give us a, a deeper, fuller meaning or a better understanding sometimes. It's really important. But the two cool, important things about this Greek speech that come from what we read in verse 5 and what we're seeing in verse 6 is when Paul says that we were made alive and that we were raised up, both of those words, they're verbs, Right, so they're an action. If you remember that, remember the third grade, and you talked about. I slept through that class probably, or blue spitballs. But verbs are action words, um, and pretty easy to understand. But the tense that they're in depicts something important about what Paul's trying to convey here. These verbs are what's called aorist, active, and they're indicative. And there's a reason why that's important. What Paul's conveying here, um, by the way that he explains being made alive and being raised up is that there's no it's not a future thing it's something that will happen but it's something that has already happened so you have been raised up you have been made alive so when you're a believer you uh you already have been raised up with christ you already are alive so you are no longer dead right so we are, if we are in christ we have been made alive and we're no longer dead if we are in christ we have been raised up and we are no longer part of this world although you are here you are no longer part of 
this, right? So John 15, 18 to 19 tells us, if the world hates you, this is Jesus talking, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. So you're hearing what Jesus says here. If you were of the world, they would hate you of its own. You're not of this world. You don't, you've been raised up with him. Um, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates us. The world doesn't like us. The world looks at us like outsiders. They say we have phobias. They say we have hatred towards people because we're not from here. These aren't our people. The dead are not the living. The living are not the dead. And when we walk around with the dead, the dead don't get it. They're foolish, as Proverbs would say. They don't understand what we're trying to convey to them. It's kind of an already not yet kind of statement, right? Like in philosophy, it makes absolutely no sense. Like it already happened, but not yet, right? So if you're arguing with with your average person at work, they'd be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It can't be already not yet. Okay, well... You can't raise yourself from the dead either, but apparently somebody figured that one out. It's called God. So already not yet can happen. So it's an example that God gives us through baptism, right? Which we'll do. We're going to talk about that here shortly. We're going to do one next week. We've done one with these awesome guys just a couple of months ago. Um, baptism is a prime example of that being raised from the dead. That is the example of dying with Christ when you go under the water and then rising up out of the water, being alive in Christ. It's that representation of coming up out of the water. Um, and although it's a command to get baptized and it should be followed as a bold outward sign of your faith and obedience in him, remember it can't save you. You can't be saved by being dipped, right? It's not a thing. There are some fringe Christian groups who will tell you that you actually have to be baptized. But, uh, I think probably one of the prime evidences is that on the cross, what is Christ tell the criminal who's next to him on the cross today i will see you in paradise i'm pretty sure they didn't crawl down off the cross fill the feed trough and dip the guy they were there it's it was happening but that that was god telling him i'm going to see you in heaven today i believe jesus so we're saved at the moment the holy spirit enters us and it's at that moment we're alive and raised up um in luke 3 16 um, it, there's this quote, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So you are baptized. When you are baptized, you are raised up. When you are baptized, you are made alive. The Holy Spirit enters you. That's when you are made alive. John 3, 5 says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water out of the mother, born of water means out of the mother, not baptism, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So once you are born of the spirit, once the Holy Spirit lives in you, the baptism that only God can do, that's what John was talking about, right? I can baptize you in water, but there's one coming that I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And where are we raised up to? So that's kind of the weird question. It's like, all right, so you're telling me I'm alive. Like, I can kind of get that. So I'm not walking with the dead, but you're telling me I'm raised up. Well, I kind of feel like I'm still here. So, you know, you baptize me, you come up out of the water, still in the same place, like wondering where this raised up place is. Well, this is kind of interesting. We talked about heavenly places two weeks ago, and this word uh, 
Uh, Eperanios is this word, heavenly places. And it's a really important word that they use to describe the supernatural realm, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, like we're fighting against powers and principalities, not the physical things. It's we're fighting against the spiritual realm. God lives in the spiritual realm. The Holy Spirit's from the spiritual realm. They're the things that we don't necessarily see in the temporal. It exists and it's true. And what Paul is saying here is that's where you're raised up to is the spiritual realm. You have an existence beyond what you see here. And it's important for these reasons. Um, it's the dwelling place of uh, God and the angels. And 1 Peter 1 4 says, Inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So it's like where your promise lays. That inheritance is where your promise actually dwells. Physically, actually, not something that's just unseen, although unseen to us now, but is actually there and you will get to see it at some point. This guy, John Frederick, theologian, he wrote this article in the Journal of uh, Biblical and Theological Studies that I thought was really interesting about all of this part of Ephesians. And he says that this heavenly place is, uh, quote, where Christ exercises his lordship. It's like where he sits at the right hand of the Father. The realm from which God's manifold wisdom is made known to the powers through the existing church. And I think that kind of gives us the feeling of like, okay, well, where is God? He's in this Eperanios. He's, uh... <laughs> yes, sir. That is filled with the Holy Spirit right there. <laughs> um, his manifold wisdom is made known to the powers to the existing church. So it gives us this idea of like, well, where's God? You know, it's hard to explain this, especially to like your kids. I'm like, where's God? I can't see him. Well, he exists in the heavenly realms. It's a physical place where God exists, where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and it's where all of the power for humankind to receive any blessings, to receive life, to receive spiritualism, to receive the Holy Spirit, it's where that power comes from. Um, Colossians 3, this is Paul in uh, 1 through 4, Paul says this, if then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is a really awesome verse that Paul gives us in Colossians to explain what happens to explain when you've been baptized, when you're a believer, what happens. Like, you've died to the world. You now live in Him. But what are we supposed to do? Seek things above. We're supposed to seek the Father. We're supposed to seek spiritual things. That's what we look for. The result of that is, I was listening to this thing yesterday. It was pretty interesting. This guy was talking about how you could become so heavenly-minded that you're earthly useless. And that is theologically the biggest load of bark that I have ever heard of in my life. The simple fact is that we pour ourselves into our brothers and sisters when we focus on God all the time. We're a better father when we focus on what God wants all the time. It's never focus on what our kids want. We focus on what God wants. When we take our eyes off from God and focus on our kids and what they want, kids are selfish by nature. Most people in this room have got kids. Look, the first thing they do when they want a bottle is cry. 
When they poop their pants, they cry for somebody else. It, I didn't poop my pants. Change your own pants, selfish little child. So it's like humans are innately selfish little people. We don't focus on that. We focus on God. And then we feed our kids because we love our kids. And why do we love our kids? Because God loves us. We love because he first loved us. It's this idea that when we continue to focus on, on the heavenly realm and on God and on Jesus, that we will pour ourselves into the earthly realm because he loves us. We will want people around us to be saved because we understand what God has for us. And it's that understanding that helps us. It lends us to believe our citizenship is not here. Our loyalties are not here. Our efforts are not for to be focused on this place. We to look towards God for our love, our rest, our mercy, our grace, our salvation. And it takes our eyes off from the deceiving world and focus it on our rescuer. Right? We have forgotten about this like in current events. Like we've just focused on like how do I fix the now? How do I fix the now? How do I fix the now? Like look, I don't care where you stand on the issues. If you've got Jesus in your life, it doesn't matter where you stand on the issues. Guess where you get to go when you die? Heaven. That's the important thing. And sometimes we lose sight of that. That it's not about tomorrow. It's about heaven. That it's not about physical comfort. It's about heaven. That it's not about who gets elected. I don't care. It's about heaven. God's under control. He's got it all taken care of already. There's already a plan. We can't see it because we're human and he's not. And sometimes we, need, we forget about that when we're living in the now. And we forget to give all of that to him. When we're loyal to someone or something, it's for his glory. We do it as a result of him. When we exert effort, it's for the kingdom of God. And when we love, it's because he first loved us. Our actions, emotions, and worship are all for him and his glory. As we move on into verse 7, it says, So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. And we talked about his riches, his abundance last week. The coming age is not distinctly tied to a specific time. It doesn't necessarily, this isn't a, what they would call an eschatological truth. It doesn't necessarily mean in the coming age is like the Armageddon and all the crazy stuff from Revelation or, or Matthew 24 that you read about the dragon, all this stuff. The coming age is, is, is more like what happens next? What happens right now? What is coming next for you? It's not distinctly tied to a specific time. But it will be, of course, it will be. There will be an end time. Christ will come back to rule and reign. He will judge the living and the dead. Um, and he'll call all of his sheep home and create a new heaven and a new earth. Um, very much so. But this age already exists too, right? When you die today, there's a coming age. If you were to die right now, poof, gone, there's a coming age. That coming age would be you existing with God forever and ever in heaven, taking on his inheritance, us in him, him and us. Um, and we depart into the presence of the Father, and we will see the immeasurable riches of his grace. John MacArthur, if you're unfamiliar with him, I, I suggest listening to him. He's one of the greatest modern expositors of the Word of God ever. If you're driving and you like podcasts, he's got Ask Pastor John. It's like um, phenomenal pastor, reformed guy. He's just He's got great stances. He's the guy, if you remember, that in California, when California shut all the everything down, was just like, we're just going to stay open. We're not going to tell people to come or not come, mask or not mask. Just, you, we're open. We're a church. God said to me together, it's a command. It's over 100 times in the Bible. We're going to stay open. And the church or the state sued him. 
and they were fining him. And if, if I remember right, it was $5,000 a day for months. <laughs> and he was just like, we'll just, we'll take it to court, but we'll keep paying it. We're commanded to be open for people so that we can preach the word of God and love each other in fellowship. So we did, well, they just won their lawsuit. But anyway, uh, so they are not closed and they do not owe the state. As a matter of fact, in the, the state courts, they decided that he actually was not at fault and the state has to pay his legal fees, which I think is phenomenal. Those times are getting short, by the way. <laughs> That's not going to happen much anymore in the next 25 years. But he says this about the riches of God's grace. Salvation, of course, is very much for the believer's blessing, but it's even more for the purpose of eternally glorifying God for bestowing on believers his endless and limitless grace and kindness. The whole of heaven glorifies him for what he has done in saving sinners. Right? So it's for his glory. And sometimes that's hard for us to figure out. It's like, I want heaven. I want God. I want Jesus. I want my kids to be saved. I want this. I want that. It's still kind of the earthly mindset of like what salvation is. And I get that. Like as a dad, I want my kids to have the best. If one of my children were to leave the earth today, I want them to live forever with God, not forever away from him. Hell, we call that. It's a place. It's a thing. It's bad. It's not made for us. I want them with Jesus, with God the Father. But the reality is it's not just about that, is it? The real reason behind it is when they get there, they get to look at God and go, yeah, it's for your glory. You did this for me, for you to show your power. And you get to go, wow, now I get it. And this is the amazing part of God is it always glorifies him. John wrote Revelation in, in chapter seven in verses nine through 12. It says, after this, he's, he's getting the vision of the end, right? I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. People for miles, right? Right? Even bigger than a Springsteen concert. From every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages. By the way, this is one of the biggest refutes for any sort of racism in the church. Guess who goes to heaven? Everybody. Not everybody like, every, not just believers go to heaven. But all nations, all tongues, all tribes, everybody. It's going to be the, is it 64 colors in a box of crayons? They all get to be there, Right? Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne in the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their knees before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now we can talk about the pictures of heaven later and how that all works out because I think heaven's going to be an amazing place. I think the pictures of heaven, the old church used to give, the old timey church of like I'm sitting on a cloud like a little angel in a diaper with a bow and arrow like Cupid. That is not the truth. God made us in his image. We're creative. We're amazing beings that have this computer he put inside of our heads that can develop things and think and love and have emotion and interact and all this kind of very cool stuff. And now we're going to live in perfection. So if you can imagine, take how amazing the human brain is and then place it in a existence that's perfect. It's going to be pretty awesome how we interact with each other and with God. But 
That aside, the cool thing is here is blessing, glory, wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power might be to our God forever and ever. It's him who gets the glory. One of the greatest rebukes of Christianity is that allows. I'm going to talk about this as we get into, we look at this verse in Revelation, as we think about going in heaven and it being for his glory is this idea of some go to heaven and some don't. Most don't. Some do. The path is narrow. <laughs> hey, buddy. And there are these rebukes of Christians that they will say things like, why does God allow bad things happen to good people? You've probably all heard that before. It's, it's probably something I hear once a week. Or that people are inherently good and they don't deserve hell. Like, really? Like, I'm good. Like, I did a good thing last week. I, why would I go to hell? Because I did that one good thing. Like, I like my kids. They're all right. Why should I go to hell? Or why would a good God send people to hell? Why would a good God, like, actually send people to hell? And I don't think they're questions we should sneer at. I think some people are like, that's stupid. You just don't understand. No, these are good questions. Especially for new believers or people who are not believers. I think we deserve them an answer. That's what we're here for. We're here to share our hope. So we should be able to answer these questions. Well, I think one, I'm going to give you like the, the cliff nose answer. Um, why do bad things happen to good people? How are people good? That's the question. What do you mean they're good? What's the standard? What's the measure of good? Well, there's only one answer to that. The measure is God is good. People are not good. People are inherently bad. So when you say bad things are happening to good people, really what you should say is bad things are happening to bad people. We don't deserve God and we don't deserve goodness. As a matter of fact, one of the things I was recently listening to, consider this for just a moment. Just the fact that we're sitting here on a Sunday morning, not that we have good stuff, but just alive is a blessing. We sinned against an almighty, holy God. Holy. He's not like us. He, we sinned against him. Think of the American court system. If you were to walk up to the judge's stand and slap him in the face, what would happen? Well, first you'd get tackled by like four county sheriffs or deputies, but you would get punished instantly. There would not be a trial right away. They would just punish you. They're not going to ask you if you need some time to think about it. The judge is not going to send an intercessor to make sure that's how you actually feel and try to convince you that it was the wrong thing to do. You see, as humans, we're actually way more judgmental than our almighty God is. God allowed mankind to slap him in the face, and instead of destroying mankind like we deserved, he said, I'm going to give you not only time, I'm going to send you a savior to give you grace. You see, we don't deserve even one breath. So what is good? What does good mean? God does not send good people to hell. That's not a thing. The only good person to ever live is Christ. He's the standard. When God sees us through Christ, we go to spend eternity with him in heaven. Does God send people to hell? Yes. Yes. God sends those who are judged to hell. They don't choose it. This idea like, well, you can choose heaven or you can choose hell. No, you can't. You can accept Jesus' free gift of grace 
It is him who decides to take you to heaven. Remember, it's only him who saves. You don't save. You don't get to choose to be saved. Like, oh, I choose Jesus. No, Jesus chose you. You may have accepted the gift, but he chose you. You can't do the work. It's all him. And you did not choose hell. What you did is you rebelled against God and never accepted that free gift of grace. And then you went to hell because God sent you there. Those that are in Christ are rewarded for his inheritance and his work on the cross and for his obedience to the Father. This gives us two great truths. And then um, we'll worship him just for a moment. We need to share the gospel. It's important. People are going to go to hell. We need to share the gospel. We need to let people know who Jesus is. We need to let them know how emergent it is. Like ERs and health places, are, they're filled up with people. People are sick. How many people have gone to their grave over the last 18 months who nobody that's a Christian in their community ever said, hey, you ever thought about where you're going to go if this thing doesn't work out for you? Well, that's our responsibility. I mean, you could be the person that plants the seed. I don't know. It seems like a pretty big responsibility to me. What if it's a family member? So we need to share the gospel. The second part of this that's really important is the riches of God's grace are towards us. And we who are in Christ get to share in the inheritance that God earned. We get to share in the inheritance that God earned. So pray with me and then we'll worship. So Father, we thank you for who you are. We love you. We thank you for this time together. I'm so happy that there's a bunch of people gathered around this morning. We just love these folks, these people, this time, the snacks, uh, your word. Just fill us with your spirit. You have filled us with your spirit. We just ask that you would have him alive and working in us, God. We just, we want to be an example to the community. We want to love others. We want to lead them to you. Be an example of work for people a good example to our families. We just want to let people know that it's an emergency situation. That there's a time coming where you are going to judge the living of the dead and we need to let people know who you are and where we're going um, if we are in you or if we are not. So we thank you for your son Jesus and his work on the cross. And we ask that you continue to richly bless us in his holy name. Amen.